Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Brian, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We educate pet parents about the importance of using a pet trust to provide lifetime love and care to their beloved pets. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce to you our special guest. He is the founder and the owner of, um, his name is Jeremy Cohen, and he is with Boston Dog Lawyers. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you, Peggy. Great to be here. I just love the name of your firm, number one, because it just makes me happy. Um, <laughs> if you had a tail, it'd be wagging. It would be wagging. Um and I'm just such a huge dog lover, of course, as you know, and lover of all animals, but particularly dogs. Um, so I'm interested to learn a lot about your firm and the things that you do. But I also want to tell our listeners a little bit about you, that you've been a lawyer for 25 years, that you handle cases for dog, cat and horse owners since 2008. You founded Boston Dog Lawyers in 2016 with a mission to grow a law practice specializing in representing dog and other companion animal owners. Your first case was in 2008 was to save Jesse the German Shepherd for his stepkids and you did. Yay. And Jeremy treats your pet like he or she is his own and that passion and energy fuels the courtroom battles that he has and surrendering is not an option. Thank you so much for all you do for animals and welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy that I have found this, dusted off this area of law and um, am able to pursue it full time. Yeah, it's because it's sure a niche practice, isn't it? Yeah, when I first started, when I opened the practice in, in 2016, the phone never rang. It rang more before I called it Boston Dog Lawyers. It rang, rang more when I was just doing other stuff. But uh, I had to stick with it. And over time, once the media got involved and other people found it was an interesting story, uh, it, it's taken off. It's proved the concept you can make a living as a dog lawyer. And that's a wonderful thing, I think, for anyone who's interested in, A, the practice of law, or B, pursuing a career in animal-related um, legal pursuits. So we appreciate you being a pioneer um, for lawyers and for pet parents. Well, um, you got to pave a, a much longer road than I have to be called that, but we're, we're getting there. Thank you. Little by little, every day um, we make a little bit of headway, I think, when it comes to um, animal law and, and the changes that we're seeing in the overall law. But um, before we get into all that, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Tell us about your personal 
um, dogs that you have and, and why you're passionate about animals? Uh, well, one thing is I, the name Boston in the firm. I mean, part of it is certainly because I'm from Boston, but part of it too, because I've been told I should change it. So it's less uh, specific, regionally specific. Boston is where change happened. You know, 300 years ago, this is where change was happening. And, um, and this is where I, I feel there's a reputation for just getting down and dirty and working hard. And, and this, this really takes that kind of an effort because you're taking, um, you're, you're taking heat from so many angles, people that can't believe you're doing what you do, judges that just can't believe you're taking up their courtroom with this. So you have to, I have to develop, you got to be battle ready to do this. And, but that's a lot of the fun of it. So at the same time, you're trying to prove there is this area of law. You're also trying to show that your clients have rights in this area of law. Um, and for me, my, I have a dog, uh, Maisie, my golden retriever, uh, my wife and mine, golden retriever. And I have to say that because we handle so many custody cases that you have to think about, all right, who would get the dog if something were to happen? Um, and then my first case was actually a dog that I knew and loved. And that was Jesse, the German shepherd, which you referred to. And I had, I was engaged to my present wife, but we had a, a blended family. I had two stepkids who were older and Jesse had a history of going after dogs. And we would only see Jesse a couple of times a month, but Jesse lived with, with, lived with their dad. And then Jesse got loose, went after a dog, and I like to say a woman's calf got in the way of a dog fight. And that made the local news. She wanted the dog put down, and suddenly I got involved, not knowing the first thing about it and being shocked when I showed up to the hearing. Just most of the country does it the same way, a local hearing in the local city or town where this happens, and someone or a group of people are the hearing officers. And people just start screaming and yelling and there's a lot of anger and they want, they want the dog and the owner usually put down. And I realized that night, uh, we got to figure out how to appeal this because they had just voted right away to put the dog down. That made the local papers. We won. Jesse came and lived with us for a while. And you just never know where your inspiration is going to come from. If I, I was a high school basketball coach. If I wasn't coaching ball, that I would never have met my wife through a mutual coaching friend. So, and then I would never have, have hit the dog, the dog cases. Right. Well, and um, that's that's interesting that you had a personal connection to that because that made it even more personal for you, obviously. Um, but it is true that pet owners can be very emotional about the cases that they're involved in. And you mentioned pet custody. And I would suspect that maybe people have never even thought about that being a possibility when a relationship terminates. When I opened the firm, I didn't even know about it. When I opened the firm, I actually looking back, I don't know what I was thinking because I only was, I only knew how to handle dangerous dog cases. And that's really not, that's a, a, minor, a minority of the cases that we handle now. Just in the last two weeks, we filed seven uh, superior court lawsuits on custody cases. And it, 
I, I try to talk every single client out of it. You will spend much more on this case than you could ever spend on a dog. But so I give them that out. I always suggest that they try to work it out with their ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. But now I'm also dealing with mothers and daughters, fathers and sons battling over the custody, grandmother, grandson, aunt, aunt and niece. It's, it's across the board. Everybody is fighting to keep their dog or cat or horse. And, um, and it's just so emotional. I mean, today we had to file an appeal on a case and the person who was supposed to get their dog back today, not my client, unfortunately, called and was just one of the reach through the phone and really killed me because we filed an appeal and he was looking forward to seeing what I think is our dog, but his dog today. And they're just major battles. We were in court for a three-day trial over that. It's amazing to me that we have reached that place. But I feel like what that says, and you can say whether you agree or disagree, is that we really need to start crafting some laws around these kinds of situations rather than just kind of leaving it up to chance. Right. And so, as you know, there's a couple ways to make law. One of them is to to battle your legislators and to enlist them. And we're doing that on a couple of other uh, dog related laws right now, at least up here in Massachusetts. And then there's having judges reinterpret case law and, and to, to modernize the way, the way the law responds to pet owners because pets haven't changed since for decades and decades, but we've changed, we've changed how important they are to us as as you're aware and anybody listening to this would be aware and it's about getting the right judges if you have a judge who's a pet owner they understand it see i can be a good lawyer for my clients because i've gone through a custody case i've gone through a vet malpractice case personally i've gone through a dangerous dog case so i have that fire and i can relate and we have to get judges who do the same in 2021 we, at least in Massachusetts, made some great strides towards creating new interpretations of the law when it comes to custody cases. One of the things when a boyfriend or girlfriend, when they break up, ultimately someone takes the pet away. And we have, every time we get a favorable ruling, we add that to our next lawsuit so that the judges can see you are authorized to keep, keep this, this snowball growing. And we have now had judges say that when a person is without their dog, even for one night, they suffer irreparable harm. So by, by using those words, irreparable harm, that means we can get an emergency order to return a pet to its owner, even on a temporary basis. And it's like once one judge sees it, they're, they're, they're really running with that. We're super fortunate for that because the law in most states, are dogs are our property. There are states, New York, right in front, looking at the best interests of everybody. Rhode Island's ahead. Tennessee is doing well, Alaska. But there is no uniformity. And one of the things you said was, instead of having this just be like guesswork, it'd be great to have some uniformity. But as a lawyer, sometimes the grayer it is, the better, because you can, you can make some good arguments. Absolutely. So what would you tell a couple who was acquiring a pet together about how to avoid a future controversy over 
um, ownership of that animal when the relationship terminates? I would say this, they want to do something adult. They want to play house essentially, but without all the, the contractual obligations. So you need to expect if you split up, you need to be adults and not steal want the dog from another. You need to talk about it, figure out a sharing schedule or someone would buy the other person out or buy the other person a dog. And because the number one thing is whoever swipes that credit card at the adoption facility or pays for a dog from a breeder, that name, they're always going to have the leverage that person in terms of who owns the dog, no matter what happens after that. And so I would say, make sure both of your names are on any type of sales receipt or adoption paperwork or vet records. But the industry that we operate in isn't set up that way. Adoption centers have a room for one name on their paperwork. Vets have room for one name. And uh, microchips have room for one name. They're, our vendors, right, our pet industry professional, professionals are not making it any easier by just having a spot for one person's name. And you got to save receipts. But also, there is a when that we've learned, a when that dog becomes the other person's as well. And it might not be the day you sign a contract or, or put your credit card down, but there's a point where that bond, where you can point and say, they're just as much an owner. You know, the, 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 the guy's just as much as owner as, as the girl or the guy as the guy, because you see how they take care of the animal. You see, and this is the pitch we make, you can have a there can be two of us in the household and we each have our own unique relationship with the same animal. We each have different ways of communicating with that animal and that animal knows us in two different ways. And you can't to, to then try to separate that. It's not good for us. It's not good for the animal. Um, and the courts need to recognize and they starting to that shared custody of a pet has to be something sanctioned by the court. It can be in a court order and there are ways to enforce that. And that, and that's the main mission in custody cases that you can share a pet, even though you hate each other, you have to do the adult thing. And if they were kids, you'd have to do the same thing. I'm not trying to say a pet is a child, except for most of these people, they've started with a pet to see how they could do with a child and just running, taking the dog and running away is, it's not how we're doing it, doing it anymore. Right. So I have given presentations on the in the past on uh, what I call pet nuptial agreements. Um, so agreements where people actually agree in advance how that animal will be cared for in the event um, of a dissolution of that relationship, whether it's going to be shared custody, whether um, one person is going to have the sole responsibility for that animal moving forward, um, much as you would enter into co-parenting agreements, if you will, for, um, for kids. It's um, a great idea. So you made me happy, though, to think that yesterday when I got my two little miniature horses that I wrote and signed that check. Yeah, it's empowering, right? It, it, it matters still because of the way uh, because they're treated like property. So it's as if who has the title to the property. Yeah, that. OK, that's very good advice. So people who are listening, um, people do fight over pets. I, I've known of cases where people have spent life savings 
um, fighting over the custody of a loved pet. And we are very emotional about it because for many of us, they are our children and um, we're very attached to them. And we, we do have unique relationships with them. Um, I love the way when I come home at night, you know, my dogs throw me a big dog party every night when I arrive in the driveway. Um, but they throw my husband a big dog party when he arrives in, in the driveway as well. So, you know, you couldn't say that they maybe love me more than they love him. They love us differently, right. but they love us the same. I mean, the UPS guy came to the door and my dog ran downstairs because she knows there's going to be a little bone waiting for her whenever the package is. And so she threw him a party this morning, but, but she, she treats us all in a different way. And one person's the play person, one person's the food person. And she, she treats us all differently. And that's why people don't want to let go. And the idea that you'll just oh, go get another dog as judges would, would say early on in, in this practice, that is not the right thing to say to anybody. No, that, that doesn't make people feel any better, does it? Just go get another dog. Just go get another cat. Just go get another horse. Well, just go get another kid, right? Right. Right. It's, uh, yeah, hard to deal with. Okay, so I, I can imagine that's one of the more emotional areas. Um, but you also work in the area, and you mentioned it early on with Jesse's case, but uh, either... Uh, dangerous dog charges. So a dog that's been accused of um, biting either another dog or a human um, right. and then vice versa. Um, if the dog is the victim and you're representing the family of um, a dog that's been injured. Exactly. You've, you've, you've cracked the code on what it is that we do. And on the dangerous dog cases, which is where I said I started, um, we are too smart as a society to just say the dog bit, so kill it. And I think pretty much in, in every state, although I'm, it could be different somewhere, but that's always an option, euthanasia. And there are some dogs that ultimately have to be put down. But first, can we try to go about doing it the right way and give them the chances and give the owners, if they're engaged in it, the chance to to see how they could fix it. Maybe they have to put up a better fence. They have to get training for their dog. We've been sending a lot of people to the AKC CGC training. When you get that certificate of, you know, a canine um, good citizenship certificate, that matters now. When we first started, judges and hearing officers could care less, but now we, we present this program about how difficult that is to pass, but it also requires the owner to put in just as much time in the training and at home. And so we're building back the reputations of owners to show they, they can be responsible. Uh, and I, I just don't accept euthanizing a dog as, as the way out. And I did a little study of my own in my office and realized that I've had now 114 dangerous dog hearings and I think five dogs have been put down. So there's 109 that were those five. It was two or three of them that, that probably should have been one of them bit four people in an hour. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's hard to come back from that. I, I don't take cases where the, where there's a fatality either. Um, where, the, where there's a human fatality. I do take cases where there's a dog fatality because big dog, little dog, 
it doesn't mean because the little dog died that that was the intent of the big dog. Big dog gets a little dog in his mouth and it's just, it can, it doesn't have to do much to crush the little dog, but it doesn't mean he should be, he or she should be put down as well. Well, and then I guess the pet owner who, who has the love for that dog might say that there were extenuating circumstances in some cases. Um, I can think of a case where, you know, a, a dog's in its own crate and a child comes in and sticks its head into that crate while that dog is guarding a bowl of food. Um, the child's not doing anything wrong, but the dog's not doing anything wrong either. Right. And, um, and it just, the circumstances gave rise to a bad outcome. We just had one where uh, Copper is the dog on leash, but at a, at a park, at a, at a neighborhood beach uh, with his owners sitting away from the crowd and a girl about six years old comes running over with a sippy cup, sees the dog, throws the sippy cup down and runs and hugs the dog around his neck. And the dog responded with, he, sir, he, he did bite her on the face. And then he, he, he went back, he pulled back. He didn't know what was happening. He didn't have time to growl, bark, or lunge, which you want a dog to do. The, the good dogs growl, bark, or lunge to, to send a message. He didn't know what was happening. And at first, we lost that case and because someone just looked at the headline. But when you dig deeper they reversed it and we won and all the, and we did send the dog for training, but some things are just, you have to manage, people have to manage themselves or, or parents have to manage their kids too. It's not always the dog's fault. For instance, right now, um, for your listeners, you have a sweater on that's uh, black and white um, with sort of all different shapes on it. That sweater could be a reason that a dog attacks. Maybe not you, but that pattern in nature, I've learned, is very, it, it pr promotes a lot of anxiety in animals. And I've, my dog, when she sees a Dalmatian, she absolutely can't handle it. And so there's something about the clothing, the way somebody smells, the people who the dog thought, oh, I know who they are. And then that person drinks or, or, or starts doing drugs and their scent changes, their behavior changes. And suddenly the dog gets anxious because they like routine. They, they, they like comfort. And if that person changes that quickly, it, they get scared and they want to protect themselves and, and obviously uh, their owners are, are the pups. And that's why the law in pretty much every state has a carve out for that. Just because the dog bit, sometimes you, you don't blame the dog because of the other circumstances. So we just try to make sure the other circumstances are known. It's and, almost like a self-defense, right? Right. And Exactly. And our thing here is just we want judges and hearing authorities to get to the right decision the right way. Just show us that you're doing it right. Give our clients their procedural due process rights. If you're going to interfere with their property, well, you, the government can't take property, um, life, liberty or property you know, without due process, without a fair hearing. And we and there's a lot of unfair hearings that go on right now. And do you feel like that's just because they're, they don't have enough experience with these types of cases and they're really just becoming more educated as time goes on? Yes. And I, I say this to a lot of them and I don't mean it 
in a, well, I will educate you. And I did this two weeks ago at a board who had voted to kill, kill the dog. And then they continued it for a night. And I went in there. I said, you know what? These people, they just don't know what the law is. They don't know. So I'm going to explain it. And they had a lawyer there, but that lawyer didn't enlighten them. And I, I don't like being a know-it-all. Nobody likes know-it-all. But I've committed myself to one thing. You know, these very narrow niche of law with where there's only a few different laws. So I know them and I educated the board and they were just so grateful and thankful. They reversed their decision and they said, we wish we, they had, they had had a hearing a week before and it ended with the cops having to come and people being pushed out. I wasn't part of that, but they said, we wish we had this hearing first. So we would have understood the law better. So Let's understand the law better. And so I've, I'm working in some committees where I said, I will volunteer my time. Let's, let's help you get it right. If you're going to enforce the law, you should know it. Instead Absolutely. of giving in to the loudest voices in the room, you know, the more people who are against you, it shouldn't be that way. Well, and, and I try to tell clients frequently, um, even though I'm not a litigator, that Judges are people too. You know, they were lawyers before they were judges, and they probably practiced in a specific area of the law, and they may not know the area of law that they're sitting on at that moment. And so it really behooves you as the advocate for your client to educate them about something that they may not know about. Right. You can't take for granted that when you go in there, I always say you got to ground them with what the case is about, but you actually have to go even deeper to explain what law or what what theory that even brings us here and it's pretty cool because some judges have pulled me into the ch chambers during or after or just said oh you know how'd you come up with this or my my grandchildren saw the case on tv and they know that their grandfather is the judge and they were like grandpa you're not gonna put that dog down are you and he's sharing this with me like you know that's so much pressure um and Everyone has either owned a dog or has a dog story. And some of them aren't good. Some people have been bit by a dog, but um, it's getting easier and easier for people to relate to our cases in court. That is good to know. That is very, very good to know. So um, what do you tell people who say, I want to pursue this because it's the principle of the thing? Um, I feel like you hear that a lot in the litigation world and, and maybe people start to think more rationally when you explain that being right can also be expensive. It's an excellent point, Peggy. And I, we had settled like six or seven uh, vet malpractice cases in the first half of this year and, and some bad cases. Uh, as you know, through Joey's legacy, uh, we get all the records reviewed before we even take a case. So it's only about 10% or less of the calls we get above that's, that there's actually liability on the vet. And now, and we settled all these cases, people are getting money, more money than the law as it stands entitles them to. And no one was happy. And I would, I was happy because obviously we brought the case to an end. You're making a veterinarian write out a check in some cases. And so I, I had to talk to all of them and they were just like, I missed my day in court. I never got to stand up and point to the veterinarian and tell him everything he or she did wrong. 
And that's the principle of it. And vet malpractice cases in this country right now, you're not taking them for the financial award because it's still very limited. But what I've been explaining is you have stood up to them. The very fact that you hired us and we brought an action against this veterinarian or groomer or trainer or boarding facility, they have to now know that they're accountable. You don't have to scream it in court and you also don't have to go on social media. Here's how you, here's where you can do it. And the more, and what used to be a few years ago, maybe a few hundreds became a few thousand and now we're getting you know, double that. And it's, they, all pet owners want to make it better for the next pet owner. And one way they have to know they're doing it is just by bringing the fight to them. And they've heard you, you know, they've, I, they've heard you through me. They've heard you through their insurer, having to hire a lawyer. They've heard you through having to go through depositions. This is not comfortable for them. And it's new in a lot of cases because we're starting to hold them accountable. So my clients are the pioneers they're the courageous ones and the pioneers who are like, all right, we need to make change and we'll make it one case at a time. And with, with boarding facilities, at least up here and in many states, they're not regulated. So we've had a lot of boarding facility deaths and now we're about to change the law. So my collection of clients have got together and they're forcing a change. And the, the bill is, is about to get out of committee in our state house and we're going to start regulating boarding facilities soon. And, and that's how it's done. Standing up and yelling in court, not enough people would hear that. But cumulatively, our clients got together and realized we can make a difference. Yeah, case after case after case after case. It, it takes volume, unfortunately. Right. right. Um, all right. So you mentioned a little while ago, um, we were talking a little bit about judges, and I'm not trying to paint a bad view about judges, but... Um, we do get um, reactions from judges that we don't expect sometimes because they may not be animal lovers. Just like I get reactions from clients sometimes when they say to me, oh my God, you do estate planning for pets? People really do that? And I'm like, yeah, and some people are really serious about it, as am I when I'm asked. You are unbelievably serious about it in, in, from our conversations in the past. I love that because I don't know anybody up here in Massachusetts who is as serious as that. And it may end up having to be me. But um, the, I, I love the pomp of court and the circumstance. I, I was saying this at a trial last week. I do love the fact that you still have to rise when the judge comes in the room and and they still wear robes, but they get it wrong. I mean, today I, I actually, I, for the first time ever sent an email back to the court about a case. And I just said, this is unreal. Like this decision is unreal. And that will make it to the judge. And I decided, you know what? She should know that she should know that I put in countless hours on a case. And, she, and I believe she came up with the wrong decision. I've had judges uh, and she was one of them actually this who uh, put their head in their hands and they just shake their head. Like, and I get the impression they're sitting there saying, I can't believe this is what my career has come to that. I'm handling a case about a cat or a dog, but you know what? I love it. We paid our money to be in court. You will listen. 
and you will at least make an attempt to make an educated decision. I, I know they don't have enough experience on it yet, but I love to take a step back mentally and look at everybody in the courtroom and say, they're all here because of me, because I wanted to open this firm and fight. And that's a great feeling. We'll, we'll get the wins. We're getting them, but losses really hurt in these types of cases because it usually means losing a pet. Um, and I, I sort of celebrate the judges who are, who are into it. And I, I, take it, I take it very personal to judges who aren't, but I think I operate better with a chip on my shoulder. So when I have, they just fuel the chip, just like lawyers on the other side are always saying, you're doing what? You don't really do that. And now that we have our website, they'll go to it. And then, okay, you know, there's 150 stories up there about cases we've had handled. And the days of mocking us are over. I was with a client five years ago in court out in this little tiny, horrible town in Massachusetts. Everybody who was there five years ago is still there. You know, nobody leaves that town. And we had a, a dangerous dog case and there was a group of lawyers laughing. And the judge was kind of mocking me. And my client said to me after, you know, those lawyers will laugh at you. I'm like, I know that. But in five years, they'll still be here, making no difference in life, making no contributions to society. And, uh, and we'll be much further along on our way. Um, so you, I, I, that's part of what, you know, being a, a trailblazer. You got you to knock these things out of your way. And there's always setbacks. And there's always somebody who's going to be a contrarian. So um, it's it's just nice to be on the cutting edge of something that is so valuable to so many people. And um, for the state of Massachusetts, I think they're super lucky to have Jeremy Cohen because I don't know that every state has one like you. And I wish that it was possible um, for everyone in the United States who has an issue um, related to something that you do would be able to call up someone who's as passionate as you are about what you do. But I say call Jeremy first. And um, if he can't help you, maybe he can help you find somebody. We do have about 30 states where I know of at least one lawyer who might be able to help you. And I never mind uh, taking the time to, to send you that information. Well, in the animal law section of the American Bar Association, the animal law sections or committees for the individual state bar associations, those are continuing to grow in popularity. Um, laws are changing all the time. Uh, lawyers are more and more lawyers are becoming interested in this practice area. And, um, and I think that all spells good things for pet parents. It does. There's so much information out there now to protect them. So, and here's a few things I'd, I'd love pet parents to know. Great. Stop with your retractable leashes. You've got to stop the retractable leashes. It may be fun because you have a small dog, but that small dog, when it's chased by a bigger dog, you can't possibly reel that dog in quick enough on a retractable leash. So it's not that your dog's not friendly. It's that somebody else's dog is off leash and that's going to be a bad recipe. Uh, for retractable leash. Another thing is um, when you go to the vet and they suggest surgery or even a diagnosis and you have any doubt, speak up, but get a second opinion. Just go get a second opinion. 
of course, I only get calls from people where something bad's happened already. But in a lot of instances, a second opinion would have helped, especially when it comes to a pet, because they can't speak. As the pet owner, you actually can read them better than the vet as to what you think's ailing them. But a lot of veterinarians don't want to hear about that. You know, there's, but they also have difficulty diagnosing issues with pets. So just get a second opinion. It's not a slight on anybody. This is your pet, your property, your family. You're gonna, you need to get second opinions. I think that's very good advice. And, and I think that's true for most human beings too. When we get diagnoses or um, recommendations of a course of care. Um, and if it doesn't feel right to you in any way, shape or form, you can ask for a second opinion. Right. Doctors right. get mad sometimes. They have egos, but um, oh well. Well, would they rather get mad or get deposed? How about that? There, there's a good. <laughs> Did you want to get mad or you want to get deposed? I like that idea. All right. Well, talk to us a little bit, Jeremy, about what you do on the service dog and emotional support animal side as well, because that's not something we've talked about yet. On the service dog side, uh, I have a case right now where a major, um, actually, I, I have no problem saying it, where Hertz rental car uh, refused to rent to my client because he, he, he's disabled and he had, a, he had his service dog with him. And he had totaled his car in an accident and his insurance company set him up for a rental. And when he was there, uh, they said, well, we, we're not renting to you because we don't want dogs in the car. He said, well, he's not a pet. He's my service dog and I need him because uh, he's in a wheelchair. Now he controls the car with hand, uh, hand equipment, hand instruments. And he said, I'll pay whatever the, you know, the, to clean up the dog here. And they said, no, we just, that's our policy. So that's a case that and then it was raining and they made him stay outside in the rain and wait for an uber to come pick him up and those people have to be held accountable uh because i i often say this about uh, service animals and emotional support animals landlords businesses only learn about that law when they break it and it's another instance where i am so happy to educate you about the rules on support animals so support animals come up a lot and here we really screen them to make sure that the person has a legitimate need for the emotional support animal. And the way I describe it is if, if someone is six feet tall and they, they're enjoying all the benefits of being six feet tall and someone's five feet tall, well, they're entitled to the same benefits. And it means if, how are we going to get them to six feet tall? Some people need medication, some people need special education, and some people need a support animal. These are all ways so we can all enjoy life at the same level, or at least be in position to. And I have an ongoing case right now, which just hit the news up here. I actually took a case about chickens. Chicken. So yes, okay. chickens can be emotional support animals. Now, when I first opened my firm, I, I got a chicken case and I wouldn't take it because credibility was real important to me. And now that I understand it, this case, we are on the absolute right side of this case. And it's where a little girl, seven years old, struggling in school, social anxiety, uh, reading disability, and just very down about life. Her father went out and got her some chickens and he built a coop in the yard. 
and her life has changed. We have reports from doctors, from teachers. She went through a neurological exam, how improved her life is. And of course, the local neighbors want to take the chickens away. And so to compromise, we got rid of the roosters, but that's not good enough. And they have all stood up and, and you know, they, when people sort of hiss at me and, and have, make a real angry face at me, I know I'm doing a good job because they're being challenged for some of the just stupid things that people will say. And in this instance, the local board of health is making the decision. And the people have said she should get a rabbit instead. Well, what's the difference between a rabbit and a chicken? The, the chickens are what work for her. Or they've said it's not good for the chickens. How do you know what's good for the chickens? If you want to have an opinion, have some basis behind it. And what we did was we brought in you know, um, an infectious disease expert who explained that people are not getting sick from backyard chickens from airborne illnesses. It just doesn't happen. They're getting sick from airborne illnesses, and that's COVID. And for that, you only have to say six feet apart. Most regulations say you have to be 25 feet away, a chicken coop from the next closest house. But why? And when I asked the, the uh, president of Board of Health, he said, I don't know why. I said, well, the, the three biggest diseases you could get from chickens are all foodborne. So they're, they're not here to, to be eaten. It's just, it, it, I keep saying it, but it's all about educating the people, but it's about stamping out the people who won't even admit they need to be educated and how decisions are made to see how they're made at a local level. And they have very rarely have anything to do with the law or the facts. Um, and so I, oftentimes I can fix an emotional support animal issue within an hour. And client calls me so upset, they're not going to be able to move in because they have an emotional support animal and the landlord won't let them. I can fix it in an hour. And it's just speaking to that person and saying, here is what your life is going to be like when you don't allow this person's pet. And I do that after reviewing all the paperwork to make sure, because it's, it, it's not a regulated industry. And I don't recognize anything that's obtained by the internet, even a doctor's diagnosis or a certificate or a service animal support animal certificate. I don't accept any of those um, because they just have no meaning. You can, they're just paid for, but so I don't take a lot of these cases, but when I do, I know I've taken the right case. And I, I, mean, I, I think we're unbeatable because the facts are unbeatable in that. Yeah, and I'm glad you have thick skin too and that you don't get intimidated by um, people that try to make you feel like you're not doing the right thing. Right. Yeah, that for some reason, I'm drawn to that. That that motivates me when there's not a lot of people in the room. It's disappointing. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the bigger the audience, the better. Yeah. Right. Well, don't they say that all lawyers are really actors at heart. Right. So I've always heard that. And I know this when I'm not the dog lawyer, I'm a different person. Yeah. I, I don't like going into a big room full of people. And, but when I know I have to go there and, and perform, there's something very exciting about it. That's excellent. Well, I want everyone to know the name Jeremy Cohen and know Boston Dog Lawyers. And we all want to thank you for every day that you go out there and try to make new law in support of pet parents and the, the pets that they love. Thank you. Boy, that really is encouraging.
I, I mean, I really, really appreciate you. Um, and I was just so excited when we met and um, were able to develop a friendship. And um, we just, we're just out there every day, a little bit, just chipping away, trying to make sure that uh, pets are taken care of and that we have a, a nice world to live in that has room for pets as well. In your practice is based on really healthier pets. And, and it, yours is a, is a, is a great thing to have to plan for, you know, in terms of you, I only get people who's something bad has happened. You're there to just make sure good things keep happening for the pet. And that that's, so you're on the other end, but it's still, it's all pet related. It's a great thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a good outcome, hopefully for the pets, not necessarily for the pet parent, because right. usually um, it means somebody's passed away or um, is unable to care for their pet. I was showing off some war wounds um, over the last couple of weeks because one of my clients died and I had to go to her home and rescue her cats. And uh, they were not very happy with me um, being taken out of the home that they knew and um, going to their their new home. But the good news is that they've settled in nicely and they're going to be well taken care of. And they have a beautiful trust fund um, to ensure that they're going to have everything that they need for the rest of their lives. That is a great story. That is a great story. And it makes me really happy um, to be able to do that and uh, to know that those it was two cats and a bird, actually, that they are all going to have the lifestyle that their pet parent wanted for them. What a great way to plan for your pet. Yeah. So thank you. And I hope you do start doing some uh, pet estate planning up there in Massachusetts. And uh, you know that I'll have your back on that. So thank you for joining us today on All My Children Wear Fur Coats. If you want more information about Jeremy and Boston Dog Lawyers, you can go to bostondoglawyers.com. Um, they have a fabulous website, lots of information there. And uh, uh, you can say you knew him when, when he's going to be very, very famous uh, for all this groundbreaking work that he's doing. Um, I hope that you'll join us each and every week on All My Children Wear Fur Coats. And you can find us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And um, if you want to plan for your pets, please visit us at animalcaretrustusa.org. And my favorite saying is, until there are none, please adopt one. And happy tales. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet. We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales!